Hi, I'm Pastor Kyle Thompson. Thank you for joining us today. We are wrapping up a series called Unafraid, and it's based on a book by Pastor Adam Hamilton in which we've been looking at how do we live our lives not letting fear get the best of us. Now, speaking of fear, when we first started out, I share with you some fear that my boys had after they saw a snake in our grass, in our yard. And of course, that should cause fear for all of us because that could be dangerous. Well, maybe to book in that, have you heard about this new giant murder hornet that has made its way to the United States? We've tried to keep it out for many years, but they're starting to spot them here in the United States. It's a, uh, we got a picture of that. You can see it's about two inches long, and the giant murder hornet can kill a person with its stinger. After you've been stung multiple times, we can die. And so this is a frightening prospect. As if the coronavirus wasn't bad enough, right? We have a giant murder hornet potential problem that's facing us. And it just, it reminds me of this quote by genius Stephen Hawking uh, that he, he gave a few years before his recent death that I think is relevant to today's discussion. So let's check out this quote from Dr. Hawking. He says, we face awesome environmental challenges, climate change, food production, overpopulation, the decimation of other species, epidemic disease, acidification of the oceans. We are at the most dangerous moment in the development of humanity. Well, isn't that encouraging? Come on, man, lighten up. But he's right. All these things are happening, and it's frightening. And on top of that, the coronavirus. On top of that, the giant murder hornet, which is frightening. And they've also found some kind of a gypsy moth out in Washington state that's able to just chew through trees and shrubs that could cause lots of trouble. Been trying to keep that out of the United States as well, and now it's entered into the United States. Of course, we've had flooding this week and out west or all throughout this year in 2020. There has been a, a record drought out west, and so the weather seems to be going crazy. We've got tornadoes that have wiped out homes and families all across the U.S. this year. There's the the threat of you know cyber attacks and, and crimes through computers. Could you imagine if the internet went down? How we'd be dealing with the coronavirus right now? Elon Musk, oh, sorry, Elon Musk of Tesla uh, and PayPal and SpaceX fame has said that he has concerns about artificial intelligence. That we create all of these smart computers and one day they might decide that they're smart enough and they don't need humanity. And, and then what happens? And that kind of reminds me of the Terminator movies in which the machines rule over human beings. And so when you add all that stuff up, it's frightening. And it can cause a, a great deal of, of fear and anxiety and stress. And, and maybe we begin to ask ourselves the question, is the end here? Is, is the apocalypse now? Like what's going on? Right? And when we look in Scripture, which is usually a place of comfort, sometimes we read Scripture, and it's not. It, it's frightening. Today in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 24, we're going to read some words of Jesus that are very challenging and frightening and, and, and talking about the end of time. And so Matthew is, is a gospel, which is the story of Jesus. Matthew was one of the 12 disciples. And so he quotes Jesus here talking about the end of time. So let's jump into Matthew chapter 24. Uh, together, uh, starting with verse 6. Jesus says, You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you're not alarmed. Such things must happen. But the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of the birth pains. 
right? Just the beginning. This is just the beginning. Then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death, and you will be hated by all nations because of me. At that time, many will turn away from the faith and will betray and hate each other, and many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love most people have will grow cold. So we read that, like, thanks a lot. That's not helping my stress level. It's not helping my anxiety. We can see things in the world like that. Kingdoms against kingdoms and, and war and, and people who are not loving each other and people being persecuted because of their faith. And we add in all the other stuff that I've been talking about with viruses in the world. And, and it, it's frightening. And, and we could make a case that, well, maybe the end times are starting. right? Is this apocalypse now? What are we supposed to do? And, and if we're scared of a future that doesn't look bright, right, maybe our, our fears coming true. Are these the end time? Is this the apocalypse? That's our focus and our fear today. And we're going to dive into that right now. Many of us probably had to suffer through reading some books in uh, English classes, English literature when we were in high school. A couple of those were 1984, Brave New World, and some of us probably enjoyed those and loved those, but I'm guessing many of us kind of, we just kind of got through it. But 1984, Brave New World, they're a specific type of literature, and they talk about a future that's dark, a future that's bleak. And so the governments have taken over, it's a totalitarian kind of government, and People have lost all their freedom, big brothers watching, and it's just not a future that any of us would want to look forward to. And it breeds fear inside of our hearts. And so some of this literature is often called dystopian literature because dystopian is the opposite of utopian. Utopia is an ideal future. Utopia is an ideal future. So dystopia would be not an ideal future. That would be the future that we wouldn't want to have happen. It's a dark future. It's the future, the, the worst case scenario kind of future. And so even though 1984, Brave New World, probably didn't burn it up uh, on, the, on the popularity charts for, for some of us, dystopian literature is incredibly popular. Dystopian movies are incredibly popular and have made millions and millions and hundreds of millions of dollars, probably billions of dollars have been made off of dystopian stories. And you can see this all over pop culture from Planet of the Apes back in the day to the Mad Max movies to most recently the Hunger Games and Divergent and The Handmaid's Tale, things like that, the Giver series. Speaking of The Hunger Games, uh, that was a trilogy that's been out for a while. And just recently, a brand new book has been uh, published for the first time, and it's been you know, a gap of several years. And this week, that new Hunger Games book is number one seller in books, all books on Amazon, which is pretty impressive. So there is an attraction to dystopian literature, books, movies, all that kind of stuff, uh, because I think it taps into a fear that we all have, the fear of a bleak future. And we watch like we watch accidents that happen. We have this interest in things that scare us. And so dystopian stuff is off the charts. And there are also companies who are profiting on that in a different kind of way. There, there are companies who are building these underground bunkers uh, that are earthquake-proof, nuclear bomb-proof, coronavirus-proof, whatever proof you can, you can say or need. They build these bunkers, and some of them are like entire communities underground. And if you've got enough money, you can reserve a spot there. 
In fact, one of them, if you want to get a, a floor for you and your family and your friends, it costs about $3 million. Now, if you can't afford $3 million, they'll build a bunker in your backyard for like $20,000, but it's going to be little. And I don't know how you're going to get everything to you there. But anyway, one of the taglines is, where will you go when all hell breaks loose? Where will you go when all hell breaks loose? And so that's a great question. And so some people are profiting off the fear around dystopia and the end of the world and the apocalypse. So are we in the end times? Have they started? It seems that a lot of stuff that the Bible writes about it are happening, and it's, it's happening and it's getting worse all the time. Is this the apocalypse? Is this the beginning of the end? I would say, in my personal opinion, it is not the apocalypse. It is not the end of the world. It is not the end of time. I could be wrong. I'm wrong about a lot of things, but I don't believe this is the end of time. Even though there's some scary things happening, there's some challenging things happening, there's some difficult things happening, I don't think that this is the end of time, that this is the apocalypse. And, and here's why. One of the reasons is history. I think we can look back in history, and at any time in history, we can see a lot of these things that we read in the Bible happening. There are wars, there's rumors of wars, there are evil leaders, there are earthquakes and famines and suffering and insects and plagues and all kinds of things that happen to humanity. And sadly, billions of people have suffered and billions of people have died and billions of people have been murdered. And it's horrible and it's wrong and there's nothing good in that. And yet, humanity finds a way forward. God allows humanity to move forward. Now again, at some point, that's going to stop. But time and time again, people thought this is the end of time and it wasn't. We can look back and see people that we could say were the Antichrist. Hitler killed or you know, helped kill six million plus people. We know most recently the, the terror of Saddam Hussein and Osama bin Laden. And, and we can go back through history and just name tyrant after tyrant, dictator after dictator, murderer after murderer. And yet, even though they killed billions and billions suffered, humanity moves forward. Even in, in my own life, I've seen... Uh, in 1999, I was in my first church that I was serving fresh out of divinity school, and uh, everyone had the fear of the year 2000, the whole Y2K kind of crisis, that January 1st, uh, 2000, that all the computers would shut down, all the money that we had in banks would be lost, we would be ripe for invasions, and that the end of the world was coming, and so people worked really hard for that not to happen, and so... Where will you be when all hell breaks loose? We were at church. We had a watch night service uh, on New Year's Eve at the end of 1999. We weren't quite partying like Prince was in 1999, but we were there, and sure enough, the world didn't end, and we welcomed in the new millennium, worshiping Jesus. And so that, that was one case. Uh, another case, I grew up in the, hot, the height of the Cold War, right? America and its allies against the Soviet Union, and there was a lot of fear about a nuclear holocaust because we had enough nuclear weapons to destroy the world I don't know how many times over. We still do have that, and there were many times that it came close to buttons being pushed and missiles being launched, and it was a frightening time to live. When I was my oldest son, Luke's age now, he's 12. When I was 12, there a movie came out, and it was all about the uh, nuclear holocaust, uh, and what would happen after a bomb went off. And so we watched this movie. It was a made-for-television movie, uh, and so all of America pretty much watched that, and then it frightened us. 
Like, this is horrible. And then the movie made its way into the Soviet Union. People watched it there. They, they got scared about that. And, and some people say that that movie actually helped uh, bring the Cold War to a close a lot faster than it would have. But just seeing the possibility of what a nuclear holocaust would look like scared us to death. And, and, and thankfully, the Cold War has ended uh, there's still enough nuclear weapons to blow up the world, but thankfully we haven't pushed the buttons to blow up the whole world, uh, but there's still that fear. But again, all throughout history, terrible things have happened, and yet here we are still, humanity, finding a way to move forward. Uh, and then, of course, I think an obvious place to go is the Bible, even though there's scary stuff in the Bible about the apocalypse, the end of time, all that kind of stuff. Uh, there's some hopeful things in the Bible as well. And sometimes we just we need to understand what some of these passages are. Again, the Matthew chapter 24 is like a mini apocalypse. There's a, another version of that in Mark's gospel. There's another version in Luke's gospel. And I want to go back to that uh, in Matthew chapter 24. And we're going to read some more words of Jesus. He's talking about the end of time and when it's going to come. And check this out. You'd never guess that Jesus would say something like this, but he does. So let's read this, Matthew 24, verse 36. But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven know, nor the Son know, but only the Father. No, no, don't miss that. The Son of God, Jesus himself, doesn't know when the end of time is coming. Right? So if Jesus doesn't know, how can we pretend to know? How can we pretend to know more than Jesus? If you ever hear someone say, oh, it's definitely the apocalypse, it's the end of time, then you can say to them, oh, so you must be smarter than Jesus because the Bible says that Jesus doesn't know when the end of time is coming, right? So that's, I don't want to begin to hazard a guess of when the end of time is. If Jesus doesn't know, then I certainly don't know when that's, when that's going to happen. And so, wow, it's, it's dangerous for us to predict to say that now's the time, right? Or tomorrow's the time or next week's the time or this year's the time. We got to be real careful with that. Another thing about reading the Bible and apocalyptic literature is we have to read it kind of with two sets of lenses. One of those lens is the future that hasn't happened yet, but there was also the lens of the audience that Jesus was talking to and the other biblical writers were talking to. There was a first century audience and the people that Jesus was talking to, their world did come to an end pretty much uh, because about 40 years after Jesus ascended into heaven, uh, the Roman government came in and absolutely pulverized Israel, pulverized the city of Jerusalem. And for most of Israel, that was the end of the world. And some of the things that Jesus prophesied about came true. And so we have to read it on different levels. It's complicated when we dig into apocalyptic literature. Now, there's also things in the Bible about the Antichrist, the rapture, that are very controversial. They're hard to understand. I wish we had enough time to dive into them today, but we don't. And so I've written about them in the daily devotionals. And so uh, we email those out each week. You should have gotten those already. If you didn't, just shoot us an email at the church. You can go to our website, southparkchurch.com, uh, forward slash online. You can contact us, get devotions, or we'll get them to you. Uh, and you can learn about the Antichrist. You can learn about the rapture. I want to spend some time now, though, talking about the book of Revelation uh, in the Bible. It's the last book in the Bible, and it talks about the end times, the apocalyptic kind of stuff. It's apocalyptic biblical literature. Uh, and so note that uh, the book of Revelation does not have the letter S on the end. Sometimes you'll hear people say, have you read the book of Revelations? Well, no, I haven't, because it's the book of Revelation. It's kind of a pet peeve of mine. But anyway, it's important because the word apocalypse is a Greek word that translates into the English word 
revelation. So apocalypse equals revelation. So what does that mean? Well, the book of Revelation uh, was written by a man named John, a, a disciple of Jesus. And God gave John a revelation. God revealed a vision to John that included things about his current situation and about things that will come in the future and have still not yet happened on the earth. And so John has this revelation from God. He sees a vision from God about his present and also about the future, and he writes it down. And that's, that, that's what it is. The apocalypse means the revelation. And it was given to John, and he wrote it down. And a lot of it's about the end of time, the last battle between good and evil. And a lot of that's going to be fought on the earth, and there's going to be some bystanders that get sucked in. There's going to be a lot of death and suffering, and it's scary stuff, and it's not cheery stuff. But ultimately, good wins out. And the book of Revelation is meant to be a book of hope, especially to Christians who are undergoing persecution for their faith. And it's saying, hang in there, because the victory is ours. We know how the story ends. In the meantime, you've got to be brave. Do the right thing. Don't let fear dominate you. Even though you feel afraid, do the right thing. Follow Christ. And we know that the victory is ours, right? It's going to end up with victory. In the meantime, we have to be brave. We have to be courageous. And so it was written as a book of hope. And ultimately, uh, the Lord's Prayer, the theology of the Lord's Prayer, is really the theology in the book of Revelation. We see God in heaven in the book of Revelation. And, and we pray to God in the Lord's Prayer, our Father who, who art in heaven, who is in heaven, right? Holy is your name. In the book of Revelation, we see creatures worshiping God in heaven, and they're, they're calling God holy. Uh, in the Lord's Prayer, we ask God to uh, deliver us from the evil one, to lead us not into temptation, right? There's some some tough stuff going on in the book of Revelation. God, get us through this. We ask God for daily provision. Give us today our daily bread. God, God provide for us. Provide for us in the book of Revelation. Same kind of stuff there. Do you see what's happening? It's paralleling, uh, parallels, the Lord's Prayer parallels the book of Revelation, and it's really cool. And ultimately, it's a book of hope. And I want to show you that right now, because we're going to read uh, Revelation chapter 21. This is after the last battle of good and evil has been fought. Good has been victorious. Evil has been defeated. Brokenness has been defeated. And Jesus is, is bringing in the kingdom in its full glory uh, to earth. And so let's check that out. Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 4. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and He will dwell with them. And they will be His people, and God Himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away." That is a beautiful vision of hope. That is a beautiful vision of the future. That is a beautiful vision of utopia, the ideal future. That's what's going to happen. Right? Good is going to win out. God is going to win. And those of us who are on God's side, we're going to be on the winning side. And, and, and the apocalypse ultimately is a good thing because we're going to spend eternity with God. And did you notice where we're going to spend eternity? There's a new heaven and there's a new earth and God descends down to the new earth to spend eternity with us. So 
Y'all need to get used to living on this blue and green planet because that's where we're going to be forever. It's going to be new and renewed, right? But our new home is going to be earth. A lot of times we miss that as Christians, but it says it right here in the book of Revelation. And so again, good winds out. And in the meantime, we've got to be brave, right? So, so what does that mean for us as Christians? What does it mean for us in our lives? What's the point? What's the big idea? What's the takeaway today? So what? What does this mean for me in my life um, as we think about the apocalypse? This is what I think it means. In the end, victory. In the meantime, courage. In the end, victory. In the meantime, courage. In the end, Evil will be defeated. Good and God will be victorious. Brokenness will be no more. We will be made whole, right? So in the end, victory. In the meantime, courage, right? In the meantime, even though good has already won out on the cross and in the resurrection of Jesus, defeated evil, and we know at the end of time, evil is going to be defeated. There's still evil that we have to deal with. There's still people who are starving. There's still people who are being abused. There, there's still injustice in the world, right? In, in the meantime, we have to fight the good fight. In the meantime, we have to have courage, which means even though we might feel afraid, that we still do the right thing anyway, that we don't let fear paralyze us. Right? And so in the, in the end, victory. In the meantime, courage. Can you say that with me? In the end, victory. In the meantime, courage. So what does that look like in our everyday life? I'd like to go back to what we started with in the beginning of the series with this acronym for fear, F-E-A-R. Right? So the F means face your fears with faith. Usually when we're scared of something, we go to worst case scenario. But when we face our fears with faith, we bring God with us and we know God is with us and there's hope because of that. And that even though there's stuff that's scary, God will bring good in our lives even in the midst of that. So face your fears with faith. The second is examine your assumptions in light of the facts. Right? Again, we assume things about things that we're scared of, and a lot of times our fear helps us think in a way that's not logical. So examine uh, your assumptions in light of the facts. So we think about the coronavirus. It's killing thousands of people, tens of thousands of people, hundreds of thousands of people are going to die from this. Uh, and yet we know that other viruses and plagues Humanity has survived through that, that, that we find a way to treat that, that our scientists are smart and, and God is blessing them with intelligence and, and something's going to give. And so we have hope and we can examine uh, our assumptions in light of the facts. Uh, we also have the A, and that's attack our anxiety, attack your anxiety, my anxiety, attack your anxiety with action. Right? If we're scared of something, we got to find a way to deal with that. we got to find something to do about that. If we're scared of global warming, we, we need to get involved in the, in the process to, to fight against global warming. If we're scared of the coronavirus, we need to get involved in that. Maybe that's on a medical level. Maybe it's in taking groceries to someone who's shut in their home. Right? We've got to take action uh, against our fears. And that's true for all of us. And I would say just a special word today to our young people, to our graduates, to uh, our, our youngsters younger than that, that, hey, right, the world needs you. We, we need you to be involved. We, we need your help in ending global warming. We need your help to prevent future pandemics from happening. We need your help to end hunger. And, and you're the hope of the world. And God has great plans for you. And, 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 and view this as a call to action that, that God needs you in the world to make it a better place. And I believe that you will make the world a better place. So the F, the E, the A, 
And finally, the R's is release your cares to God. Right? At the end of the day, we've done everything that we can. We might still feel some anxiety. Say, God, I just I need to give it to you. I need you to run with this and take it and go. Right? F E A R. When we if we apply these four principles to our everyday life fears, we, we go through that, we think through that, we talk about that. If we all did that, we would feel so much less stress, so much less anxiety. We'd be so much more full of hope and faith, and our eyes could be opened to all the great things that, that God is doing. I want to thank all of you for filling out the survey that we sent out recently, and this Wednesday we're going to publish the results in our churchwide email. I'm going to get that out to folks, and um, I hope you'll check that out. There's some really cool takeaways. One of them was, uh, what are, what's the top concern in your life? And the top three concerns for our congregation right now, the first is social we just feel socially isolated. The second uh, is fear of catching the coronavirus uh, ourselves. And the third is we're dealing with some emotional struggles, anxiety and stress and fear. And I think, again, if we attack those with the fear acronym, then we're going to find some peace and we're going to find some comfort in, in all that we're going through right now. So give it a shot this week. Give it a shot. Use that acronym for fear and see what happens. Now, as we think about wrapping up this entire series, we've talked a lot about fear about being unafraid. We've talked about fear itself. We've talked about uh, the fear of missing out. We've talked about the fear of other people. We've talked about the fear of living an insignificant life. We've talked about the fear of the apocalypse today. We could have talked about so much more, the fear of financial ruin, the fear of growing old, or the fear of not growing old, the fear of death, the fear of change, the fear of failure. Right? But it all comes back to one base thing, and that's fear. Right? Sometimes fear is good. It protects us. Right? But the Bible says... Right? The most often uttered command is do not fear, do not be afraid. That doesn't mean that we're not going to feel the emotion of fear. Well, what it means is don't be paralyzed by fear. Don't let fear dominate you. Don't let fear stop you from doing the right thing, right? of being courageous and standing up to your fears and, and doing what is right. So how I feel led uh, to, to close out this series is I want to invite you to think about your, your top fears right now the ones that are pressing down on you, that are just crushing you as if you're laying on the ground and they're standing on your chest and you just to the point of paralyzing you. What what fears are you wrestling with? And I, I want to invite you to go on a virtual walk with God right now. We're going to do this through a video. You don't have to get off your couch or whatever. We're going to go on a virtual walk with God. I just want you to imagine God is walking with you on this path and that you can envision God and that all this chaos that's inside of your soul, this storm of fears that's just pounding inside your chest, that you can release that to God right now as we go on a walk with our Lord and our Savior. So would you walk right now at this time with God and surrender your fears to God?